Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each Saturday morning at 7.30, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life now your hosts of beyond the business eric cox and leslie haywood and great saturday morning low country welcome to another edition of beyond the business heard exclusively here on 94.3 wsc every saturday morning we thank you our loyal listener for getting up and tuning in the dial to hear great stories in entrepreneurship and leadership i'm your host eric cox here this morning unfortunately i don't have my wonderful co-host with me today uh, Leslie Haywood, however, we do have a very special guest in the studio this morning. So we're going to jump right in this morning because not only do we have a great entrepreneur and leader, we also have an individual uh, who is running for governor in actually this upcoming Tuesday's primary, Mr. John Warren. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you this morning. I know you guys are on the run. You're going. So thank you for taking time to stop by and check out Beyond the Business. Uh, you have a great business and we're going to dive into that. But unfortunately, we only get you for this week's segment, so we're going to cram it all in. We're going to dive in, and as we normally do, John, we're going to start off with childhood. Take us back and let our listeners know a little bit about where you were born and what life was like as a kid. Absolutely. So I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, grew up just in a great neighborhood downtown, uh, played outside. We based, came home from school, and ultimately what we did was we played whatever sport it was that season. So football, basketball, baseball, and then we rotated. Uh, was very entrepreneurial as a kid. One of the uh, first jobs I remember having was being the neighborhood shoe shine boy, and uh, went in and raided my dad's closet, stole his shoe shine kit, and proceeded to go door to door, charging fifty cents a pair. And uh, I remember that uh, thinking that I was just in a ton of money at that point. And then dad taught me a brutal lesson, and he taught me uh, when he made me pay for the resupply. He actually taught me there's a huge difference between revenue and profit. And uh, we got to value money and business is hard. And uh, that was a very valuable lesson. <clears throat> well, you certainly had turned that lesson into a great entrepreneur role as the founder and chairman of Lima One Capital, which we'll talk about a little bit later in our segment. Uh, but if we were to look back and talk to some of your childhood friends, how would they describe you as a kid? I, I would say they would probably describe me as very competitive. I was uh, I played every sport, loved sports. Um, so I was pretty intense with the, the competition. Gotcha. And then talk about the household a little bit. What was it like in your household? Yeah. So I uh, grew up with great parents. Uh, they taught me hard work and honesty. My dad was a, a labor lawyer. He represented companies and battled unions. So uh, had a lot of business exposure through him. I was probably the only 12-year-old that could actually recite the 1964 Labor Relations Act. Uh, probably not something to brag about, but that's uh, <laughs> some of the things we talked about in our family. And my mom was a teacher, and I just had um, – I was very blessed to have a great childhood and had a brother that was six years behind me. Okay. And so as you're growing up, go to high school, what is that uh, thought of when I grow up, here's what I want to be? I really didn't know what I wanted to be. I had so much respect for my father that I assumed probably that I was just going to be an attorney because I had so much admiration for him and just wanted to be like him. But uh, he was one of the strong proponents of do not become a lawyer. And uh, there's probably not a week that goes by that I'm having a discussion being very thankful that I'm not a lawyer. But uh, it was it was great. And uh, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. 
I guess I hoped I was going to be in the NBA, but that that certainly didn't happen. And uh, I went to college, and I just wasn't sure. And uh, certainly went off to talk about being a lawyer and going off to college. You actually went to the school that I tried to go to law school, and they wouldn't let me go there. So you got a chance to go to Washington, Lee. What a great school that is. Yeah, I don't think I could get in anymore. I was up there judging a business plan competition and was just blown away with, uh, one, how old I had gotten because it, <laughs> looked, like, it yeah. looked like a bunch of middle schoolers were around the campus. <laughs> and uh, then, two, when I was judging the business plan uh, competition, it was just incredible what the kids were doing, you know. During our summers, we were trying to be lifeguards or go to movies and things of that nature. Uh, they're working for Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. Their business plans looked like probably my business plan from NYU MBA school. So uh, I was very impressed. So uh, give us a little flavor for college life. What was that like? Were you were you serious and right into your studies or – was there time for a little fun and extracurricular activities? No, I mean, I loved my college experience, uh, had a lot of fun, did a lot of studying, uh, actually majored in politics. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately my junior year was when 9-11 happened, and that really changed the trajectory of my life. I really felt called to, to go into the Marine Corps, serve my country, and fight for my flag. And um, probably my junior year was when I started getting – pretty locked on into wanting to go into the to the Marine Corps and started training and getting in good shape for that. And uh, one of the most rewarding experiences I remember of my uh, college life was I was a, a Marshall Scholar and actually had to do a, a big honors thesis. And I was a huge Stephen Ambrose fan with all of his books like Band of Brothers. And one of my grandfathers was in a B-24 bomber squadron. And uh, he left my grandmother in November of 1943 and did not return home until December 1945. And he was actually living at the time. And I started talking to him and he started telling tons of stories. Ultimately, I uh, got introduced to the National Archives, too. I had a lot of research done and tracked down all of the mission reports from his B-24 bomber squadron. And then I tracked down 30 of the surviving members, did interviews, and wrote a historical narrative on his bomber squadron to where they started on the island of Funafuti, then went to Tarawa, then Kwajalein, then Guam, and ended on Okinawa. And uh, that was just such a, a special, rewarding experience for me and one I wouldn't trade for anything. And I'm assuming that had to ignite that desire inside of you to go serve our country and follow in his footsteps. I definitely think it reinforced it. I, th- I think it was already there, but then uh, definitely reinforced my, my calling into the Marine Corps. Now, before you went off to the Marine Corps, if I'm correct on this, I think you went to NYU to get your MBA? Or did no, I, I, have that I did the MBA okay. after. Okay. So uh, when I graduated WNL. I was waiting to get into the Marine Corps, and in times of war, everyone's trying to get into the Marine Corps. So uh, I didn't have a slot, so I took a fast-track fast track management position with Michelin, and it was an incredible experience because I didn't know when I was going to be able to get into the Marine Corps. So I got training in, in Greenville where Michelin North America is headquartered. It was an unbelievable 10-week training program, really taught you a lot about the corporate world. And then I was a territory sales manager in Georgia, and was really in charge of small tire, that's passenger tires for Michelin, for Eastern Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. So uh, the greatest thing, you know, for any kid coming out of college was I got a signing bonus, which I immediately blew on a new <laughs> stereo system, and I got a company car and an expense report. So uh, life, so life not, was great. Life yeah. could not be better. <laughs> and how long were you uh, with Michelin before you got called up? One year. Okay. So. Um, 
obviously you are in an extremely uh, successful entrepreneurial environment. You have this one year stint in a major <clears throat> corporate environment. Talk about the, the, the opportunity to have that one year in your belt, maybe how that's helped you as a, a, a founder and CEO. Yeah, I mean, it, working for Michelin was just an incredible experience. I think Michelin, I learned so much there because I'd never really been truly in business before with a corporation. And Michelin, you know, one of the things I learned was Michelin treats their employees really well, and they're very loyal for that reason. So um, that was a, a good lesson, uh, how they do the marketing um the huge infrastructure of Michelin is one of the negatives that I learned. I remember in an exit interview with an HR manager, they said, what's the one thing if you were CEO, you would change? And I said, I'd probably get rid of one third of the management. And because I just think companies need to be more efficient. Oftentimes what would happen is the marketing wouldn't necessarily commute, communicate with the sales team and marketing would come out with a new initiative and there was not a lot of coordination or things that, you know, I see today in businesses, it's so fast moving now with our environment and you've got to be able to respond and react quickly. And in the large corporations, I think sometimes with all the infrastructure, it's hard to do that. And that's why a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't want to go into the large corporations. They see a problem, they want to fix it immediately, and it just takes time with some of the corporations. Absolutely. I think we've uh, heard that many, many times over the last four years on this show with our great entrepreneurs and even myself. It, it took me 20 years. I didn't get to do it in one year, but we finally got there. So uh, so then you get called up. Tell us what it was like uh, to finally you know, get that notification that it's your time. So, you know, it, it was an odd feeling because for two or three years, you're trying so hard to get into the Marine Corps. And that's what you want to do and you feel called to do. And then they say time to go. And it's kind of a shock to the system. And you got to give up the expense account, right? Yeah, no expense so. account in the Marine Corps. <laughs> Everything was free, though. All the all the uh, fun entertainment and food and the drill instructors entertainment, that was all free of charge. So, uh, no, it was a great experience. I went to OCS for 10 weeks. Ultimately, OCS is about just surviving. And uh, it's a great grueling test. And that was 10 weeks. Uh, we lost about one third of our platoon who dropped out or were kicked out. And then after that, you have six months of training at what's called TBS, the basic school, where they teach and send every Marine officer in Quantico to, to learn to be a basic platoon commander. And then after that was um, infantry officer course for three and a half months. And I will tell you, that is the greatest training in the world for combat. And I would gladly go back to combat. But there's nothing you could pay me to go, go back, back to, to infantry officer course. So uh, I, there's a there's a phrase in the Marine Corps, not as lean, not as mean, but still a Marine. Well, that's what I've become now. So uh. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, by the way, in case you just jumped in the car uh, and just uh, turned the radio on, you are listening to uh, Beyond the Business, of course. And our guest today is Mr. John Warren, who is the founder and chairman of Lima One Capital out of the upstate. He's also a candidate for governor coming up in this Tuesday's primary. And we were just talking about, uh, John, the fact you'd been called up, you were going through training, and then I know you embark on a, a trip over to Iraq and one of the most dangerous places in the world. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. So in March of 2006, I took my platoon over to Ramadi, Iraq. It was the Sunni capital of the world. This was 
pre-surge when everything was going really badly. And we were tasked with bringing stability to a region that hadn't known it for quite some time and protect the population and systematically remove the al-Qaeda operatives working in the area. And, you know, we came up with what I would consider a very entrepreneurial uh, way to look at the combat environment. And what we did was we determined that we had to win over some of the population in order to figure out uh, who the al-Qaeda operatives were and where they were operating. So I tell people we just came up with very innovative counterinsurgency tactics. And I think that's what all entrepreneurs do. They see a problem, they see a solution to it, and they build a company around it. And in the Marine Corps, you know, we had a problem. We went into Ramadi. The insurgency was terrible. And our way to solve that problem was to partner with the local sheiks, imams, tribal leaders, win them over, and then ultimately have them provide us human intelligence so that we could go after al-Qaeda. And uh, it worked. So it was a tough fight. Over the seven months, my platoon earned about one-third Purple Hearts due to casualties. We had several killed in the battalion and company. But ultimately, our way worked. Um we thought outside the box, and I think that was needed to fight the counterinsurgency, and we saw a huge decrease of enemy activities. And I think I read somewhere you led over 300 combat missions, and you uh, have a quote somewhere out there talking about of all the different sales roles you've been in, that going to those people and trying to sell them on the fact that uh, they needed to help you guys uh, was one of the toughest things you've ever had to do. Yeah, definitely You know, convincing tribal leaders who don't speak your language, it's a totally different environment, totally different culture. And, you know, a lot of them had been fighting American troops. So to try to go over there and convince them, hey, we need to partner in order to go after Al Qaeda. That was uh, that was definitely a, a difficult sales job. I'll tell you one quick funny story that was more of a difficult sales job. We had gone on a mission to see a tribal leader and there <clears throat> we walked in this gate and all of them have these huge compounds and I actually had a South Carolinian female reporter named Kim with me who was embedded with USA Today. And we came through the gate and right then Kim saw a baby goat and she immediately felt, you know, she fell in love with this, this goat. And it was a great icebreaker with the imam. And she started petting it and she actually named it Humphrey. And then we went in, met with the tribal leader. I, had, I do my sales job. I feel very confident, and we close him, and he's going to support us. And because of that, he said, we'll come back tonight. We'll have a celebration and a feast. So we came back, <laughs> that, this is going. We came back that night. <laughs> we went through the same gate, and the first thing that Kim said was, where's Humphrey? And uh, we were using a translator, and the translator talked to the imam. The imam came back, and the translator said, Humphrey is being served. And that was the toughest sales job I had to do in Iraq was convincing Kim to eat poor that little Humphrey. That was the question. Like, did she actually take a bite of Humphrey after naming her? That's a tough one, huh? What an amazing just the thought of that. We could spend you know show after show just on the dynamics of what you'll have to go through. And and for us that you know we're here every day leading our regular lives, we don't think about really what the, those moments are like. It's absolutely amazing. So um, – Talk about winding that down, coming back to the States and deciding it's time to jump into the entrepreneurship world. Yep. So came back from the first deployment, actually met my wife in between deployments on a blind date, and then uh, went on a second deployment where we didn't see any combat. Only my mother was happy about that one. 
And then after my second deployment, I came out of the Marine Corps and I faced what a lot of veterans face, which is one, I didn't know what I was going to do. And when I would get the job interviews, oftentimes at the end of the job interviews, I'd hear, well, John, we really appreciate your service, but you don't have any real world experience and you don't have any industry experience to hire you. So at that point, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, uh, I had been in real estate on the side when I was at Michelin. I'd flipped a couple homes and saw that there was an opportunity. This was 2009, 2010. Um, so it was the height of the financial crisis. But, um, afterwards, you know, I saw a huge opportunity to provide lending to real estate investors. <clears throat> and I think again, you know, why I love entrepreneurs is because they just see very complex problems in a very simplistic manner and come up with ways to solve the problems. So the problem that I saw was due to Dodd-Frank, due to Basel III, due to all these other banking regulations, traditional banks, community banks, other lenders were pushed out of lending to real estate investors. And when you looked at the market, when I looked at the market back then, over the past 20 years, 20% of all the homes sold each year were sold to real estate investors. So that huge vacuum that was created. That is a huge yeah. market, and there was a huge vacuum, and prices were depressed, and it was almost impossible to make a loan at that time on a property. And if you had good lending standards, it was almost impossible for that loan to go bad. So... I took a million-dollar investment. I had networked with someone, and I met them at Goldberg's Bagels. These are the things. Every entrepreneur has these stories, right? So I'd gotten introduced to this guy that had just sold his business. He was a younger guy, and uh, got introduced to him, and I was meeting him at Goldberg's Bagels on 285 in Atlanta. And I'm trying to look my best. I got coat and tie on, ready to do a sales pitch. And he walks in, looks like he hadn't had a shower in a long time, scruffy beard, uh, raggedy t-shirt, raggedy shorts, and flip-flops. Now, my initial thought was, this is a total waste of time. But come to find out when you're worth nine figures, that's how you can dress. So, uh, I thought you were going to say your initial <clears throat> thought was like, this is like being back in Ramadi, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can but, do this. <laughs> uh, I sold him on an idea, which was uh, providing the lending to real estate investors. And uh, we took a million-dollar investment from him. He charged me 8% interest, paid monthly. And we did nine loans to real estate investors. They were all successful. And then after that, it was just a race to build the company and continue to get financing. And by the way, um, not just build the company is one of the fastest growing, or maybe it was the fastest growing company in 2014 in the state of South Carolina. So congratulations on that. Thanks. And uh, tell the story a little bit about how you named the company. Yeah. So the the name, everyone always asks me, how did you come up with the name? Because it's kind of odd, if you will, or unique. But uh, it was my call sign in Iraq. Wanted something very meaningful. So I went with uh, Lima One. That was my call sign in Ramadi. Uh, the, the running joke is I really wanted to use my second call sign, but it was nightmare. And Marines may not be great <laughs> at uh, marketing, but we're wise enough to know that nightmare capital after the financial crisis was not going to be. That wasn't going to work. So, yeah, that wasn't going to fly. So I went with Lima One. <laughs> so I know, unfortunately, we get to do just this one segment. Um, uh, I know you said you'll, you'll take the opportunity one time when you're back down this way to come tell us a lot more about Lima One, but give us a flavor for where that company is today. So ultimately, <clears throat> we, uh, we saw the problem, we found a solution, and then it was all about growth. Uh, and the most fun stage of any company, I think, is the fast growth phase. And uh, 
you know, once we did the nine loans, we had a track record, then it was all about really scaling the company. And that was a lot of fun. You know, my second hire was hiring my company gunnery sergeant from Iraq, who was a 22 year retired Marine master sergeant who had nine deployments under his belt. He, uh, he became our COO. We built the company together and, uh, he's still acting COO today. And some of the things that really helped us was number one, we hired people very differently from, I think, most companies, at least in the corporate world. We hired people based on their core values. So are they honest? Are they hardworking? Do we want to be around them? Are they enjoyable to be around? And then we based the second criteria on their core competencies. And what we mean by that was, are they going to be you know, successful in that role if we train them properly? Because, you know, like, for instance, with an underwriter, we looked for, are they detail-oriented? Are they personable on the phones? Can they multitask? And are they hardworking? If they had that skill set, we wanted to hire them. And then we invested time and money into training them. And we think that is a much, much better model than a lot of other companies who say, okay, we're going to hire an underwriter. We only want experienced underwriters. And they're looking at resumes of people that have eight different jobs for underwriting. They have experience, but either A, they've been trained wrong, or B, they're job hoppers. So we have a very stable workforce. And uh, I think it's because we hire people based on their core values and their core competencies. And then the second thing I think that's made us successful, we have always reinvested very heavily in the company. And I think when you're growing, I mean, at certain time periods, we were growing anywhere from 700 to 1,500% a year. And to maintain that growth, you have to reinvest it in the company. And I think entrepreneurs, they have to decide early on if they want a lifestyle business. And you can make a ton of money as an entrepreneur and be a lifestyle business, but you're not going to have the scale or the platform value. And we made the determination it was all about the platform value. We wanted extreme growth. We were long-term visionaries in terms of where the company could go. So we just started plowing money back into the company, making sure that we always had enough employees when we were growing, making sure that we had audited financials. You know, to get serious investors, you got to invest in audited financials. You've got to have loan software that helps you scale the company, all these different things, but it's expensive. So obviously we could go into that uh, conversation for a bit. Obviously is what this show is all about. Um, and I would love to learn more in the next visit about your decision to step back from the CEO role, become chairman, which we talk a lot about with our CEOs on here. What a great decision that usually turns out to be at that time. But you would probably be upset with me if I didn't switch gears here in the last few minutes and give you a little bit of a platform to talk about this governor's race. And so as a successful businessman uh, with Marine background and all that you've done, I have to ask the question, why would you choose to shift gears and go into this run for the governorship? It was It's a great question. It was a difficult decision because I love my lifestyle. I love working at the company. Uh, I have two young kids, but ultimately, you know, I'm a businessman, a conservative, and a Marine. And what I am not is a career politician or a government insider. And I really believe that we have everything going for us as a state. And I believe that the heart of our state are our people. I think our people are hardworking, they're honest, and they're conservative overall. And when you look at what is produced in Columbia, it is the opposite of our great state. And we've got to have someone go to Columbia, lead our state, lead the legislature, 
who is both a conservative and can bring efficiencies to government and competent to really run these complex uh, agencies and bring solutions. And I think entrepreneurs make the best problem solvers. And I think we need an entrepreneur in the governor's mansion. And so not to put you on a spot, but is there anything in this campaign and run for this position that maybe has surprised you that you didn't anticipate coming into this? Well, the biggest surprise, unfortunately, has been that four months in, my suits, for some reason, have shrunk. I don't know uh, why that is, but it's just an anomaly. What, what was that quote uh, about Marines? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, no, I mean, I think the, the most rewarding thing of being on the campaign trail is meeting so many amazing people. Uh, people that really care about the state and they're craving leaders. And uh, that's why I'm running. And so I had a chance to hear you speak a couple of weeks ago and I asked a question about like at the core of this, why is it that you're doing what you do again in light of having a family and, and the business? And um, what would you say is the number one motivator, John, behind you to make this decision to spend so much time, energy, money into uh, serving our great state? Because ultimately I believe in service. Uh, I went into the Marine Corps because I wanted to serve my country and lead Marines in combat. I certainly didn't go into the Marine Corps to make money. And uh, I'm not going into trying to be governor And uh, because of the money or the fame. I'm just going down there to represent the taxpayers and make our state run more efficiently and improve the lives of all the South Carolinians that deserve uh, a strong government that helps them that gives them an opportunity to be successful in the private sector, that provides great education to their children. And I feel really called to serve as governor. And um, one thing I'm going to do is switch gears because we always ask our great entrepreneurs on this show, uh, because the, the show is called uh, Beyond the Business, people you know and stories you don't. People now know who John Warren is, but a story maybe they don't, a little nugget about you, a little habit, a quirk that maybe most people in this great state don't know about John Warren. Well, most people in the state do not know this, but everyone in the campaign knows some of my favorite restaurants. I have two types of restaurants. Number one, the greatest restaurant in the world is McDonald's, and I'm a huge <laughs> fan of McDonald's. And the second one is I try to find a Chinese buffet in all of these towns that I visit. So uh, those are two of the things that my wife is going to tell me I should never have shared with the viewers, but... uh those are two of the core. Hey, it's all about, like I said, people you know, stories you don't. John Warren, thank you so much, uh, first of all, for sharing your story today. I want to say thank you for your service to our country and protecting our freedoms. And also thank you for uh, the courage to take on this journey uh, towards governorship. Good luck on Tuesday and beyond. And uh, again, just thanks for being here this morning. Thanks, Eric. I really enjoyed it. Again, you've been listening to Beyond the Business, heard exclusively here on 94.3 WSC. We thank you, our listeners, to join us and look forward to having you back next Saturday morning for another great stories of entrepreneurship. Until then, Low Country, have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Tune in next Saturday morning at 7.30 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.